Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash plearnmc. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. I'm Courtney. We have a special guest today. Yeah, we have an interview with Jenny Donahue, who is the author of several books about collective efficacy. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about her? Sure. So uh, Dr. Jenny Donahue is a three-time best-selling author, professional learning facilitator with more than 20 years of experience in leading school change, and she has four books. Yeah. Those four books are, the latest one is called Quality Implementation, Leveraging Collective Efficacy to Make What Works Actually Work. One called Collective Efficacy, How Educators' Beliefs Impact Student Learning. That's like the first one. Yeah, and that's the one we've been kind of working through and talking about on the podcast. Her next book is The Transformative Power of Collaborative Inquiry, Realizing Change in Schools and Classrooms. And her fourth book is called Collaborative Inquiry for Educators, A Facilitator's Guide to School Improvement. Excellent. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to want to listen to this a few times. So welcome to the podcast, Jenny. We're so excited to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. Hi, Courtney and Madden. Thanks for inviting me to be part of your podcast. Uh, A little bit about myself. I'm a former classroom teacher and turned staff developer, professional learning facilitator. A lot of my work in the past has been really trying to help improve the quality of professional learning for educators. Um, In the past, I know know that sometimes professional learning wasn't all that um, impactful for, for educators. You know, you'd come to a full day session and maybe get one or two practical ideas that you could use in your classroom immediately. And I think that we set the bar kind of low um, when we don't really involve teachers in um, helping them decide what it is that they need to know and do in, in relation to their students' learning needs and empowering teachers. Because I believe, you know, with all of my heart that the answer, the expertise, and the experience is in the room. And so, you know, kind of turning in, a lot of my work is away from top-down professional learning designs toward more opportunities for teachers to lead the work of school improvement in really authentic ways. So that's my passion and my work and things that I've been writing about. I also um, do some research. I'm on a contract right now with the Council of Ontario Directors of Education, and I'm excited about a new research study that um, we're launching that's going to be looking at how we're supporting English language learners in Mm. the province of Ontario. And uh, I have a feeling that um, the topic of collective efficacy might, might come up. You know, it's just a project that we're starting. But, um, uh, and in doing the work in Ontario, a lot of times I just really work with, well, not only in Ontario, but in different places um, in North America and, and more recently so in other places around the world, um, working with educators, system and school leaders, and really just trying to make a difference in student outcomes. So Jenny, what drew you to study collective efficacy? 
Well, the, the real impetus for me was learning about the updates through John Hattie's Visible Learning Research. So the, the white book that he published, Visible Learning, the synthesis of all the meta-analyses, it's actually 10 years old at this point in time. It was published 10 years ago, and Professor Hattie continues to update uh, his influences list in the, the database of research around what we know matters most in improving student achievement. Um, and so since that original publication 10 years ago, he's now up to 250 influences. And wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge database of research about what we know works in education. And a few years ago, um, I was in the audience when John was presenting at one of the Visible Learning Conferences and heard the update that uh, new meta-analysis had been released. Now, I, I don't want to say it's a new notion or new research because the research dates back for many decades, mm. but a meta-analysis was finally uh, conducted that demonstrated that collective teacher efficacy is the most um, influential factor amongst all the 250 influences of things that matter most in raising student achievement. So that's where my initial interest um, was. I've had very fortunate opportunities to work with John Hattie. We've written together and had lots of opportunities to talk about collective teacher efficacy. And we share the concern that, you know, um, people, often think that it's just about making people feel good and, and building trust and community and it's much more complicated than that. And so part of me really wants to ensure that our decisions are based on research and, and that was part of my interest in studying it. So we know how powerful collective efficacy can be for transforming a school and learner achievement, but it has not gotten a lot of attention so far. You mentioned a few minutes ago that the research has been out there, but it really just is, is like coming to the forefront now. So what makes now the right time for embracing collective efficacy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's always been the right time to embrace collective efficacy, but I think it's gaining more attention because people are becoming more aware of the research behind it. And when we can help educators understand and be aware of the strength of that evidence, um, then I think it becomes, you know, more on people, people's radar, I guess. So I think that's one of the reasons it's gaining attention. Um, one of my concerns or wonderings when I think about how we use research in our world in education, I, you know, I remember learning years ago, many years ago when I was working on my master's about the research um, from Johnson & Johnson around cooperative learning. Um, I also look at the, the research of Joyce and Showers on instructional coaching and uh, Judith Moore and Little's research in schools around collaboration. All of those pieces of research are more than 30 years old. And I guess my wondering and concern is around um, how long it actually takes us to utilize, understand, access, um, and translate that research into practice. Um, so I think that collective efficacy kind of falls along those same lines. It's been around, like I said, a long time, um, but we need to find ways to help people uh, build common understandings about what it is, that it's not an initiative, uh, it's not a new program, it's a belief system. And I think we need to turn to the research to help inform our practice if we aspire to build efficacy. 
I have one more thing that I wanted to add there too, when I think about what makes now the right time. Mm. Um, in the more recent book that um, just came out, the one that's titled Quality Implementation, uh, the co-author Stephen Katz and I look at the role that collective efficacy plays in gaining implementation in schools. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think we, we know through the research what's supposed to work, the problem becomes actually making it work in our particular yeah. contexts and environments. And so I think that can, you know, it will continue to, to be um, an important concept that we need to really understand because I think that what we'll, we'll find is that collective efficacy is really the impetus towards achieving quality implementation. When teachers share a sense of efficacy, they're more likely to take the risks and figure out how to make what's supposed to work actually work given their unique context and environments. Yeah. So in your book, Collective Efficacy, the first book, How Educators' Beliefs Impact Student Learning, uh, you lay out six enabling conditions for collective teacher efficacy. And we also know that these enabling conditions are not linear. You talk about this, about how like, it isn't necessarily a process of starting with the first one and moving through, that it really depends on the context you're in. But as I read them, and as I read them, and I think about them, and I've heard you talk about them, I have this sense that there are some that are probably typical go-tos for where a school or a district might tend to start, and then other ones that are kind of left with as like, we'll deal with that later on down the road. Um, and so I'm curious if you have seen, if there are any trends or patterns that you see as far as implementation of some of your recommendations for better or for worse. Well, so the six enabling conditions, I'll just list them quickly. Advanced yeah. teacher influence, goal consensus, teacher's knowledge about each other's work, cohesive staff, responsiveness of leadership and effective systems of intervention. And what I'm finding is as people look at, um, you know, to what degree are these things in place, they pretty much have a sense of where their strengths are and where their areas for improvement need to be. And I find people gravitating toward increasing teachers' knowledge about each other's work often. Oh, interesting. Trying to get those collaborative structures in place, opening doors to each other's classrooms, and that's a, uh, opening doors is actually a, a phrase that a colleague of mine, uh, Stephanie Heights, talks about. Mm -hmm. um, but that idea of just trying to really um, increase each other's knowledge of what goes on in that those private classrooms. And so that one is one that's um, really on a lot of people's radar. Um, and I think the reason that that one is, is of critical importance is because we know that there are four sources that influence both an individual's and a team's interpretation of their effectiveness. So there's four sources of efficacy, and one of them is vicarious experiences. Mm. And that happens largely through observation. Um, when we see others that are in similar, that are faced with similar challenges or opportunities meet with success, then we start to build our confidence that if, well, if they were able to do it, then surely we can too. And so a lot of that happens through observation. So I think that we need to find ways to increase opportunities for teachers to observe each other's practice, um, reflect in light of evidence as they see students uh, gaining essential knowledge and skills and understandings, celebrating you know, what they've been able to accomplish together. And I think that that's, that's a, a critical aspect of this work.
Jenny, you also talk about the visible behaviors or consequences related to high collective efficacy. So one of the consequences that's near and dear to our hearts here on the podcast and in our professional education lives uh, that Courtney and I believe in strongly is fostering learner autonomy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that correlation? Sure. So um, what I did as part of my research and I continue to do is look at what are the positive consequences when a firmly established sense of efficacy is present in a school? And so there are a lot of positive consequences. It basically boils down to the fact that uh, teachers are more persistent and effortful um, toward you know, their, their practice um, because they feel their efforts are gonna pay off. Um, and so one of the um, co positive consequences is that when teachers feel a sense of collective efficacy, they tend to foster learner autonomy. And when I think of that, you know, a lot of times, if we don't have a lot of confidence in our ability to manage student behavior or to, you know, um, run a classroom, we might want to have a sense of control. And that control will often mean we're dictating what the students are um, doing and, and learning and we don't so much have that student-centered classroom um, because we're a little nervous about what that might mean but when the, some of the research points to some of the important research like there was a study done in 2007 that found that the more teachers feel a sense of efficacy the more they report that they reinforce students need for autonomy um, they more often will uh, turn to the students and give them choices and let the students um, have a, a real say in what and how uh, of the learning. And so that's a one that's often near and dear to my heart as well, um, that student-centered approach to teaching, because we know that um, autonomy is a key factor in motivation. And so when I think of, you know, if we really want to motivate kids to become lifelong, independent, self-directed learners, we need to find ways to foster that learner autonomy. And so that connection between efficacy and autonomy, I think, is one that, that would deserve some more exploration. So Matt and I are people that often advocate for keeping learners at the center of any work that a school or a district does. And we were talking yesterday and about how most of the work around collective efficacy is really focused on the adults in a learning community. And so for people like us, how do we keep the learners at the center while building collective efficacy in teachers and not losing sight of that attention that we need to give to the adults during this process? Because this feels like it's, it's heavy work, it's big work. Um, and it, I could see how it could be easy to kind of like lose track either way of the learners or of the adults. And so just what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that when we think about what collective, how it's defined, it's uh, teachers' beliefs about their combined ability to positively influence student achievement, student outcomes, regardless of any other circumstances. And so by notion that for me, the student stays in the center um, as a focus because it's our belief in our ability to impact student learning. Mm -hmm. And I think part of how we uncover that is by constantly monitoring students' progress, yep. um, you know, and making sure that we look to students' experiences and understanding how students are experiencing school, 
identifying those that are disadvantaged and making sure that we're putting, you know, strategies or interventions in place to, to meet the needs of everyone. Um, and then I think that the other thing is, of course, as we see the results of our combined efforts, we start to see that we're making a difference. Then that reciprocal relationship between efficacy beliefs and student achievement continues to grow. As um, the team sees that they're impacting students, then they, you know, they, they, it tends to um, continue to build a sense of efficacy. You know, it's this upward spiral sort of effect. The other thing I think in relation to that is, you know, efficacy is closely linked to expectations and teachers with um, a lack of efficacy tend to also hold low expectations for student achievement. But when efficacy is present, then teachers have higher expectations and they tend to improve students' expectations of themselves by convincing kids that they can do well in school. Mm. And so to me, that's part of that important aspect of keeping kids in the forefront. Um, if we ensure, like to, to build a sense of efficacy, we have to realize mastery. And in order to realize mastery, we have to really look to students to understand um, the progress that we're making with them. So given everything that we've talked about, what advice do you have for leaders who are starting a journey towards building a stronger environment of collective efficacy in their learning communities? Well, I think it's really important to ensure that we have structures and opportunities in place for teachers to collaborate. And we also know that, you know, when we come together to collaborate, people could talk about busing schedules and timetables <laughs> and book fairs and hot dog money, or they can come together to really dig into improving instructional practice. And so I think that as a system or a school leader or an informal leader that's really wanting to, to you know, realize a difference that we need to have processes and structures in place for teachers to collaborate. And that collaboration has to be focused on instructional improvement. So Jenny, something we always ask the people we interview on this podcast, uh, our tagline is we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. So what is your biggest do-do for building collective efficacy? Well, I think the biggest one would be to help teams realize their collective impact, to help them understand that their collective actions result in improvements in student learning, shifting those attributions from external causes for success and failure to the things that are within our control and realizing that when we come together to really deliberate over the challenges we're facing that we can make a difference. So I think mostly just building awareness of what it is, why it's important, and helping teams to make that link between their collective actions and improvements in student learning. Jenny, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was absolutely wonderful. And I think we learned a lot and I can't wait to hear from our listeners. Uh, so before we say goodbye, would you please share with our listeners how they can learn more about you and your work and your books? So thanks, Courtney and Matt. It's been a pleasure being here and talking with you today. If anyone wants to know more about my books, my publisher is Corwin Press and the books are available on their website. Um, I'm also closely affiliated with an organization called First Educational Resources, um, and they've just recently um, built the Center for Collective Efficacy, so people can find that online as well. Um, 
And I have my own website. So if people Google me and they want to get in touch with me through email, they can find me online. I'm on Twitter. I think my Twitter handle is Jenny underscore Donahue. And uh, I just love to connect with people who are passionate about doing this work. So I'd be happy to um, get back to anyone if they want to reach out to me. Thank you very much. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Courtney, that was a fabulous interview. Yep. I want to go talk to her some more. I sure do. I think I'm going to listen to this one again, like we talked about at the top there. <laughs> yes, several times. There's so much. She had so much to say. Anyway, as always, rate and review us. Check us out on iTunes. Our website is plearnmc.com. PlearnMC everywhere for Facebook, for Inst yeah, Instagram, and for Twitter. And my personal Twitter is AppleLMC. And mine is at Eat Sleep Stats. Awesome. We will talk next time. We're just